Well, Merry Christmas Eve, everybody. How you doing? You know, I, I practice saying good evening because I always say good morning. I didn't want to mess it up. So good evening. So glad you guys are here. Um, those candles are super fun. We're going to save them for, for the end. So you don't have to light them up quite yet. But go ahead and stand. We're going to start off and sing uh, the first Noel. Here we go. Yeah. 
We're going to be just doing a lot of singing here as we get started, and we're going to interweave some lessons and some scriptures that we will read. And so I'm not going to be having you sit and stand and do all that, so we're just going to stand. But if you feel like your legs just need a quick rest, feel free to, to take a break and have a seat whenever you want, and then, and then join us again when you feel like it. So there's not a wrong way to, wrong way to do it tonight. So let me just start us off in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can just gather tonight. Um, um, God, we just ask your blessing that this would be a most blessed evening together. Um, God, just unite our hearts. God, unite, unite our minds um, in, the, in the reason that we're here, which is to celebrate the birth of a king, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So God, um, thank you that, that we can just gather and sing some, some songs that we know and God, just help us to focus on the scriptures tonight. Help us to focus on these lyrics um, and not just be pretty melodies, but, but God, would, would the truth of what we're saying, would it just touch our hearts and would it um, remind us of what a great and amazing God that you are. So God, thank you so much that we can be together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It says, it came upon a midnight clear. Glad and golden hours come 
Lesson one, lesson one, God promises Abraham that in his offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So in Genesis chapter 22, we read the story of how Abraham is tested by God. God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac, the son of the promise to whom God would establish an everlasting covenant. God says to offer him as a burnt offering. And in an incredible act of faith, Abraham obeys. With Isaac bound upon the altar, Abraham is standing ready with a knife in his hand. The Lord calls from heaven to stop him and instead provides a ram for the offering. Hear the word of the Lord in Genesis chapter 22, verses 15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Jesus is Abraham's offspring through whom all the nations of the earth are blessed. Sing with us, O come, O come, Emmanuel. i uh -huh. 
Lesson 2. Christ's birth and kingdom are foretold by Isaiah. From Isaiah 9, 2, 6, and 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shone, light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And from Isaiah 11, 1 through 2 and 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Jesus is the shoot from the stump of Jesse, the branch whose fruit is righteousness and faithfulness, the light shining in the darkness. Jesus is the Son who was given. i 
Lesson 3 The prophet Micah foretells the glory of little Bethlehem. Micah 5, verses 2 through 4. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the, God, of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Lesson 4, Luke tells the birth of Jesus. Luke 2, 1 and 3 through 7. In those days, a decree went out for, from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And all that went to be registered 
each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. shepherds go to the manger. Luke 2, verses 8 through 16. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
people said. Amen. Amen. Church, you can have a seat. Hello, brothers and sisters, friends. We've gathered together uh, tonight to celebrate this coming of our great God and King. The stars in back of me, if they're still there, This is the Lord of hosts. The story we share, we've heard so many times, but the story's true. It's not just a religious tale. What we're saying is the God of creation came for us. What a glorious, glorious truth. So we've we've sung the praise of our great God and King. We We have begun to celebrate that day on which the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, walked among us. And he did that for the achievement of the purposes of God, decreed before the foundations of time. It's good to be here tonight for us to ponder these things. I'll tell you, it stretches your mind, doesn't it, as you try to apprehend the glorious truths. Um, I'd like to begin with an admission, uh, recognition of something very true, something of which I am increasingly aware. By the way, some of you have no idea who I am. I'm David Mann. I'm one of the staff pastors here. So um, forgive me for uh, that admission. But um, anyway, the thing that I'm more and more aware of is my own finite human mind. My limited human mind, my intellect, your finite human mind will never, ever in this life, will never, ever, I think, fully grasp, and in fact cannot fully grasp the glorious weight of this holy moment that we focus on, a moment in space and time when God took on flesh. Look at the stars, the stars that he created and sustains by his powerful word. This God takes on flesh. You say, oh yeah, I know that. No, you don't know that. I don't know that. I think I can see it, but I can't. The grandness of the majesty of this event that we celebrate on this occasion. You know, Christmas isn't technically a biblically called for celebration, is it? Not in the scriptures. And yet, is it not fitting that we celebrate the coming of our great God and King? We call it the incarnation, and by that we mean the enfleshing, the enfleshing of God the Son uh, when God took on flesh. Creaturely voice, human voice, words of men such as mine, you know, all these hymns that we sing, men and women try to write words to elevate our thinking to the point that we grasp the glory of this, but we'll never, I'll never be able to to communicate with sufficient glory what God was accomplishing in the incarnation. And tonight we've read scripture, we've sung wonderful words, some of my favorite uh, hymns ever, but where do you even start? You know, you might think of it this way, when you, 
when you hold up either cut crystal or, or, or a cut diamond and you hold it up to a brilliant light, the facets on the flat parts, the facets on that cut glass or crystal just splay the light and, and every one of those facets refract that brilliant light in unique and beautiful ways and each individual refraction has its own vibrancy and its color and its beauty and intensity. And that is the way it is with the many facets of the incarnation for us to grasp. So tonight we have only a few moments to stare into the endless depths of God's work in redemption the glories of the incarnation and the ways of God at work in our salvation. Though we will never fully take it all in, let's direct our hearts to that moment. Let us be humbled of heart to bow before the glory of this event. We will need his help. Let's ask his help. Father, These things are too lofty for us. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts than our thoughts. But Lord, we have a sense that these are holy things and we wish that, to grasp them even better. This story of yours, Lord, help us to see more, help us to see better what it all means at the birth of the God-man who was laid in the feed trough on that night in Bethlehem that that birth, that event was one humbled step on the way to his sinless life, one step on the way to the cross. A step toward the sufficient saving sacrifice of the Lamb of God, born, living, and dying to take away the sins of all who would believe on him. The one who would lead us through our wilderness wanderings in this life and deliver us to the promised land forever forgiven, cleansed, ultimately in the presence of God who saves. Thank you, Father. Lead us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, my 14 minutes starts now. That was all introduction. So let's start by remembering, of course, that all the books of the Bible uh, which God has given us and the many stories contained in all of those books really uh, combine to tell one big story. And that story is a glorious one. So our task tonight is where does this episode in Bethlehem fit into the big story? Here's our first point. Bethlehem was a means to an end, not the end in itself. What happened in Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus, was one step toward an ultimate end. But Jesus' birth in Bethlehem was not the ultimate end in itself. You know, I'd suggest that this event, the birth of the God-man in Bethlehem, was, was the single greatest event in human history. You know, from Job 38, we know that the angels rejoiced at creation uh, and now the creation was a, it, it, uh, creation was a great event, a, a glorious event. But God's creation of inanimate things and processes and creatures was a lesser event than this moment when God the Son took on personhood in human flesh. 
We say that like we understand it. We don't understand. We can't grasp the profound depth of that. The angels rejoiced again. But as great as this event was, it nonetheless served as a means to another higher, more ultimate end. So the story neither begins nor ends in Bethlehem, but the story of God accomplishing his ultimate end does run through Bethlehem. The end goal was not the birth of God the Son in flesh, but without his human birth, the ultimate intent of God would not be accomplished. So our second point is this. Through Bethlehem, God himself was the one coming. Let me say that slowly. At Bethlehem, it was God himself who was the one coming, proceeding toward this end. Who am I to presume to know the agenda of the Almighty? We have, we have some glimpses in, in the Scripture, and we can know what the Scripture says for sure. But can a finite mind know the perfect, limitless intent of the self-existent I am? Yahweh of hosts, you know, I see those stars, are they still up there? Are they going to stay up there the whole time? Okay. Uh, I see those stars and I think, Yahweh, Lord of hosts, Lord of the hosts of heaven, of angels and stars, the creator and sustainer of it all. He comes to a, a lowly little town in Israel. Really? That's the story? Do we grasp that? It was God himself who came on that night, Yahweh of hosts. So instead of listening to me, listen for a minute to Jesus, who said this in John 8. Jesus said, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. I have not come on my own initiative, but he sent me. You see, Jesus was born to do Jesus was sent with an agenda to accomplish the intended will of God. And this was the will of God the Father, that on this day, on that day, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, proceeded forth from heaven, entered the course of the years on this earth toward the achievement of an ultimate end. On one side of it, God the Son left the position and the glory of heaven. And on the other side of it was the humility, the taking on of humanity, of flesh, and of being laid in a feed trough, all in order to accomplish the will of the Father. Read Philippians 2. Jesus said this, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. In Jesus' birth at Bethlehem, God was achieving a means to an end. Bethlehem was on the way toward that final end. What was the final end? The final end, the intent of God, was his own glory in the redeeming, brothers and sisters, of a people for himself. In the big story, the ultimate end of all things is the glory of God. 
of all things is the glory of God. But in this case, on the way to that ultimate end, the grand story includes a rescue of which you and I are a part. This is not vague. This is not distant. This is personal. Do you understand that you are a part? I am a part. We, we are a part of this story of God. How can that be? Here at Bethlehem, God the Son takes on flesh, and this God-ordained rescuer, this God-man, proceeded forth on his mission of achieving God's intended purpose, to redeem a people for himself and for his own glory. Scripture tells us plainly that when the fullness of time had come, Jesus was born so that he might give himself for us to redeem, to rescue us, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. You, I, how does that work? How can it be that we were redeemed a people for the possession of God Almighty, redeemed from our fallen state? We can scarcely grasp it. But finally, through Bethlehem, God's ultimate end in salvation was accomplished. It was on a road that led to death on a cross. Then that road led to resurrection. God's saving of a people for himself and for his glory was and is being accomplished. At, and, 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 and I know you know these stories. Some of you may not. Forgive me if I repeat a story you think, I know that. Because I don't think we can hear it enough to realize what has happened on our behalf by the hand of the sovereign creator. Adam had begun life as a perfect, sinless man, a representative for us who would follow. But Adam fell in sin. And in Adam, we were all born fallen in sin, born dead to God. Jesus began life as a perfect man, a sinless man, but unlike Adam, Jesus did not fall in sin. Conceived and born without the inheritance of Adam's sin, Jesus then lived his life, his entire life, every day of his entire life without sin, never transgressing the intent of his father. He was crucified with no sin of his own, offered his body as a sin-covering sacrifice for all who would believe on him and come to God through him. Said another way, instead of Jesus dying, bearing the weight of his own sin. The scripture said this, you know the words, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us on our behalf, in our place. Jesus carried our sin, my sin, your personal default, your, your personal faults in this life, he carried to that cross so that we, the fallen ones, might instead wear the righteous white robes of God through faith in Christ Jesus, our God-appointed rescuer. Brothers and sisters, this is in part, in part the heart of the gospel, is it not? 
through Jesus' perfect life and sinless death, a sufficient and all-sufficient sacrifice was provided for you, for me, so that a sufficient covering, a ransom payment for your sin and for my sin was given, was made for all who would believe on Christ. So the road of redemption doesn't begin in Bethlehem, but it runs through Bethlehem. Through the perfect life and the finished work of Jesus the rescuer, God's redeemed are to inherit a kingdom prepared for them since the foundation of the world. Is that big enough? That's big enough. In Matthew 25, Jesus said this, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And in this kingdom, it is the one born of Bethlehem who reigns as king, our great God and king. Jesus, our Savior. So walk with me for just a few minutes longer as we look at one more aspect of Bethlehem and one that relates to the Lord's Supper, which we'll, we're about to share here in just a little bit. In the Scripture, sometimes the simplest things take on the most profound meanings when Jesus is involved such is the case with water. As God had brought forth water uh, from the rock for his people Israel in their wilderness wanderings, Scripture declares for us that Christ was that rock. Christ is that rock, the fount, the fountain, the fount of inexhaustible source of living water for his people, for his people. The water that we need most, the only water that satisfies the spiritual parched thirst that we live with. Another simple thing that becomes most profound is bread. It's a simple thing, but it's a pretty necessary thing. This is our food. Fifteen times in one chapter, Fifteen times in John chapter 6. By the end of the chapter, you should get it. Jesus refers to himself as the true bread from heaven. Bread from God. Fifteen times. You'll remember in the Old Testament story of the Exodus, it is God who provides bread from heaven in the form of manna. Flakes of bread. You know what the Israelites called it. You know, you know what the word manna means? What is it? That's what it means. The little flakes, they fell. The Israelites said, what is it? That's manna. God provides during the 40 years of their wilderness wandering, manna, flakes of bread, provided daily by God from heaven uh, on their way to the promised land. Put yourself in that story. Jesus is the bread of life. He has come from heaven for the people of God 
in their wilderness wanderings to nourish them on their way to the promised land. That's us. So bread takes on this glorious truth. Every single flake of that manna that fell from heaven only served to point to the ultimate bread of heaven, to Jesus. Listen to John 6. The Jews said, okay, okay, I may go 30 seconds over my time. Um, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people north of the Sea of Galilee. He has taken what was not and multiplied it into enough bread to feed 5,000 people. He comes across the top of the lake, comes over to Capernaum. Now, some of you have been to Capernaum, the little synagogue we were in there. Uh, And so the Jews come to him and they say, our fathers, I don't know if they said it like that. I picture him saying it like that. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus Jesus said, that, that would be my response, not Jesus. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. I am the bread of life. He is our life, brothers and sisters. It's only fitting that Jesus, as the bread of life, entered the world uh, just as Micah said he would. We saw it earlier. In a town called Bethlehem. It's only fitting, but why is it so fitting that he entered the course of the days in Bethlehem? Quick story from 2013. I was, uh, some of you have been here, you know this, some of you have seen the pictures. I was with Jim Martin in Israel, uh, who led trips in Israel, and we were on the top of a mountain called the Herodian, which is where Herod had his uh, um, palace. It's about six miles due south of Jerusalem, and about three miles um, over um, uh, to uh, to uh, to the west of that mountain. Uh, you could see uh, Bethlehem. And I looked at Jim and I said, I wanted to impress Jim with how smart I was, and I said, um, Jim, I know Beth, the Hebrew word Beth means house. And so what does Lachem mean? You kind of have to cough that one out. Lachem. You can do that if you want. Um, what does Lachem mean? And Jim very straightforwardly said, well, Lachem means bread. And I said, wait a second, you mean the bread of life was born in the house of bread? And Jim looked at me and he said, cool, huh? I said, yes, that is cool. Uh, Who do you suppose arranged that? Let that sink in. So now when I sing the song as we sang earlier, O Little Town of Bethlehem, 
Under my breath, if you're standing close to me, I hope you can't hear this, but under my breath, I change the words a little bit. And I'm no song leader, but I sing, Oh, little town of house of bread. Because that's the literal meaning of the word Bethlehem. Oh, little town of house of bread. Tonight, the bread of life is born in the house of bread. God makes his point. So we come now uh, to our remembrance of the Lord's Supper, which involves the bread of life. This is for all who have believed on, all who follow Jesus. And if you did not pick up your communion cup when you came in, please raise your hand and one will be brought to you. As we prepare to take the bread of the Lord's Supper, you can think now of its connection to manna, that the Lord always provided for his people bread, as he provided manna in the wilderness wanderings, so he provides the bread of life for his sons and daughters. Listen to what Jesus said in John 6. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is what we remember and this is what we reflect on right now. So let us um, together, if you would, prepare. And we will first take the bread which represents his body, sacrificed in our place for our rescue. Again, I remind you, this is not some distant religious truth. This is truth indeed but this is personal to you this is personal to me that God provided through his own body the bread that you need for life eternal let's ponder these things in just a minute go ahead as you wish and take the bread So let us now take the cup, which represents, of course, his sacrificial blood, poured out, poured out on the doorposts of our hearts as it was in the Exodus, the Passover, poured out on our life. Let us now take the cup, representing his blood, and let us drink deeply of the glory of his redemptive work in our lives.
Let's pray. Father, in a quiet moment, in a little room, on a little corner, in a little city, we, finite beings, thank you for the adoption that is ours. How can it be, Lord, that you intervened in our lives to redeem us to the praise of the glory of your grace for eternal purposes beyond all that we can know. Father, we thank you for the celebration of your entry on the course of the years of this earth that you took on flesh to achieve the ultimate end, the redemption of a people for yourself. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, we can officially say Merry Christmas. If you peek at your watch or your phone, it, it is Christmas morning. So let's crank on those candles. Stand with us. We'll dim the lights and uh, finish with couple couple of my favorite songs. This is O Come All Ye Faithful and Silent Night. This says, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Amen. Sing with us.
love you guys. Merry Christmas.